Very happy to be here. I'm Valerie Richardson. And as I said at the beginning of the show, I've always, it's a great show for me if I get to talk to someone about birds. And and I'm talking today to someone who knows a lot about birds. And that is Patrick Cummins, who is the executive director of Connecticut Audubon. Hi, Patrick. How are you? Great. How about you, Valerie? I'm great. I'm so happy to speak with you this afternoon. I was saying right when I got on to the show um, that one of my very first outings last year was going to the Milford Milford Point Audubon Center. I think oh, cool. out back in it must have been in the springtime. I can't I don't I don't know exactly when you reopened, but it was just so great being outside and with people distanced of course, but with people and 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 looking at birds and it just that you know that that the reminder that even with that crisis that we as humans were facing have been facing life goes on. The cycle of life goes on for the birds and and there they were, and they were they were out there. So it was it was really great. Um, yeah, I mean, it, the the pandemic did have its effects, good and bad, on our birds. Um, the beach nesting birds uh, um, had a really tough time last year because there were so many more people out on the beach. A lot of people were bringing their dogs, and we didn't have the volunteer crew we normally have um, for at least the first half of the summer. And we also couldn't put up the predator exposures. So piping clovers had one of their worst years in, in many years last year. And, um, you know, I think it was, um, you know, directly uh, attributed to the problems we faced managing them in the face of COVID. Um, you know, on a positive side, our, our carbon emissions were lowered. I think some of that will continue because it's much more convenient to be, meet via Zoom than it is in person anyway. So, um I think that we've learned, you know, some habits like working from home and and uh, uh, telecommuting to, to meetings and such that are going to help us at least minimally lower our, our, our uh, carbon footprint collectively. Um, but, um, you know, it, it, it would def- definitely a lot more people got out to enjoy nature, which which in general is a good thing. Because the more people see of nature, the more likely it is they're going to see something that's spectacular and sparks a lifetime, you know, of interest in in nature. So I want to talk a little bit just to, to let people know sort of about your larger organization, and then maybe we can talk about some of your upcoming events. Um, and and Connecticut Audubon, which has a number of centers in Connecticut, is not part of the National Audubon Group, correct? Correct. We are an independent statewide uh, Audubon Society. We're actually older than the National Audubon Society. Our, our founder, uh, Mabel Osgood Wright, was one of the uh, founding members of the National Audubon Society. Um, so we've had a long um, history of partnership with National Audubon Society. It just so happened in the 50s. Um, some people donated land to National Audubon uh, up in Sharon and down in Guilford and in Greenwich. It may have been in the 40s, some of it, too. Um, So it turned out in most places where there's an independent state Audubon, there isn't much national Audubon presence. Um, But in Connecticut, because of, uh, I guess, happy circumstances, we ended up uh, being lucky enough to have a very, uh, very good state office of the National Audubon Society in Audubon, Connecticut, and a uh, very um, vibrant and uh, effective uh, independent Audubon. And I think that there is... uh, um, there's room for both of us. There's more than enough conservation work to do. And, you know, in some ways, our small size and, and command, uh, command structure means we can be a little more nimble on things than National Audubon could be. Uh, but yeah, there, 
reach into other states and having lobbyists down in D.C. can help us partner on our mutual objectives, you know, if we have national um, priorities, which we've had a few of them in the the past few years. So it's a great working relationship. It gets a little confusing, us being Connecticut Audubon and them being Audubon Connecticut. Uh, Full disclosure, I worked for them for 18 years before coming to this job. I worked as director of bird conservation for, for Audubon Connecticut. So uh, uh, I still have a lot of friends over there. We partner extensively, and uh, I think it's a, it's a great relationship, and there's more than enough conservation to, go, to be done. Have you been a birder for a lot of your life? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've been a naturalist my entire life. I was more interested in aquatic uh, invertebrates uh, to begin with, things like helgramites and, you know, maybe the elusive water bear or predaceous diving beetles, uh, that, that sort of stuff. Um, I got really interested in... Um, in herptiles, um, and my vertebrate zoology professor will be happy that I didn't say reptile. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, the, um, uh, mainly, you know, uh, lizards and snakes and, and, and dinosaurs. And in college, I got, um, um, I took vertebrate zoology. And at that time, it was this emerging um, hypothesis that birds may have somehow descended from dinosaurs and it was a lot of controversy and it was it was this you know state of the art uh, uh, um debate going on and you know it turns out that the that the people who said that birds are are, are descendants of dinosaurs were correct um so that really got me more interested in birds and um it, it it's just gone you know and become uh, an obsession and a passion since then and how many how many Audubon Connecticut Audubon centers are there in the state? I know they're sort of all over the place. Right, we have uh, they are scattered all over the place. Um, we have uh, uh, six. We have one in Pomfret, uh, one in Old Lyme, which is new, uh, one in Milford, two in Fairfield, and one in Sherman. And uh, we also have an eco-travel facility in um, uh, uh, Essex and also a uh, greater Hartford area program that so far focuses mostly on um, school education programs about the environment. But we're also looking in, into ways that we can get more involved in direct on-the-ground conservation and adult um, education programming in the Hartford region. So do you have some, um, some, some special, special events that are happening during during the summer, and it's, uh, there is a a bird, a bird count happening sometime soon. Is that correct? Yeah, there's there's summer bird counts which are, are, are coming up. You know, starting I think this weekend, going through uh, you know through later in June. Usually the uh, the um, coastal counts are earlier. They, they all happen on different days. That's that's the thing. Uh, but usually the Greenwich, Stamford, and New Haven, and uh, uh, those you know coastal ones occur a little earlier, and then the inland ones like Barkhamstead, Litchfield Hills, and, and Stores, uh, you know, go a little later in the month. So between now and uh, probably Father's Day weekend, or maybe even the weekend after, is going to be the uh, um, summer bird count. Um, you can find out more about that by going to another great partner organization of ours. That's that's the Connecticut Ornithological Association, and they're at ctbirding.org. Uh, I'm actually writing the article on, of the analysis of the summer bird count from last year. Uh, 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 you know, uh, right now, this week, I, ha- I have to finish it up. So uh, we're, we're analyzing last year's data, and it's a great way to, to you know, to 
alert us to major trends. You know, are, are snowy egrets really declining or, or is there a problem with mockingbirds? Or, you know, it, it's shown that grassland birds have been declining, that shrubland birds have been declining. But it's a great, you know, it, it's not going to say, oh, yeah, such and such has been de- declined by 5%. We just don't have that sort of statistical significance. But it is a um, sort of an early warning citizen science project, much like the Christmas bird count. Yeah, the, Another the, project that – oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Oh, you go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. I was just going to say another project that's going on right now is something that we're a partner in, and that is the Connecticut Bird Atlas Project. And that is more of a um, spatial effort trying to identify where um, in the state various birds either breed, stop over, or winter. And right now we're focusing on the breeding season. Um, there are also um, you know, some, some, some professionals out there doing standardized counts that then can be put into models. But it's a really state-of-the-art, um, uh, amazing project. And uh, um, uh, if you just Google Connecticut Bird Atlas, you'll, you'll find their website and find ways to participate. There's definitely still ways to participate, no matter what your level of skill is. Um, and, and there's also, um, I forgot what I was going to say. Oh, I know what I was going to say. Uh, the, the one, one thing that you can also do with the Connecticut Ornitho- Ornithological Society uh, group is they have a, an email list so you can see, you yeah. can sign up and see um, rare birds that, that people are seeing. They, they post them, which I, I just love that. It's, it's just always these, these, these messages pop up while I'm working during the day. I just, I love the thought that there are people out there in pursuit of birds as I'm Sitting, yeah. sitting at my computer typing letters and things. Um, yeah, and we actually have a uh, text service. So uh, if, a, uh, if a really rare bird shows up, um, you can get a text on it. Um, and that's actually, uh, you know, gotten me a couple of birds recently. Uh, uh, I've gotten alerts from that. I, I saw the little egret that was down in um, Westport uh, because of a text. And uh, um, there have been a couple other birds that I've gotten texts on that I've been able to see. I had. You can um, find out. I, I live. I yeah. Um, I, I live right on the um, right the Connecticut uh, the Quinnipiac River, and I right. I kept on seeing. Um, and I I post to the eBird list. And we can talk about that also. That's a, that's a whole separate thing. Um, I post there every day. I was I always post all my birds, and I started seeing nighthawks last summer, and and I actually got calls on them because they haven't they have not been breeding in Connecticut, but I was seeing them. I saw the first one um, in early July, and, and then I was seeing them all throughout July and August. So they were not. Uh, it, it was probably that they were here breeding and not just not just passing through. So that, that's, that's that's exciting. Really cool. <laughs> they're they're one of Connecticut's most endangered species. If anywhere we thought they still nested in New Haven, um, because people although we missed them in 2020 on the summer bird count, but generally one or two gets sh- you know shows up in June on that count, and I assume they're trying to nest on the rooftop of a building somewhere in New Haven. When I was growing up, I grew up in Manchester, and we had the old Cheney Mill complex, and. Um, there were nighthawks that nested in my neighborhood, you know, good numbers of them. And I remember hearing, you know, I remember hearing them do their displays, their booming displays. It was really cool. And, you know, sort of something I took for granted. And it's just not something you, you, you hear or see, see anymore in Connecticut. Well, what, what, what is this? What is the state of birds? I mean, um, it, it seems like there are probably some species. I, I certainly there are a lot more eagles uh, that are that are their, their numbers are going up and other numbers are going down. Yeah, no, it's definitely um, a lot of birds have been improving, it, and really, it, it goes to show 
the success of our conservation efforts. This, a lot of the species that we've been focusing on, things like piping plovers, American oyster catchers, uh, putting efforts into trying to recover their population, they are recovering. Osprey, we've been uh, trying to recover osprey populations since the early 70s. There, you know, there, there are hundreds of, uh, of osprey nests. I should know the exact number, but I don't. Um, uh, in the state, and they're, they're spread throughout the entire state. Um, and that, that's one of the neat things about this Connecticut Bird Atlas program, project is we're going to be able to compare what it was like in the, um, in the 80s to what it is like today in terms of distributions and seeing what birds have increased their distribution in Connecticut. And it's mostly birds that have moved up from the south um, and, uh, uh, and also and birds that have recovered, like bald eagle and, and osprey and uh, uh, the, the wading birds, um, the, the, the egrets and the, and the herons. Um, a lot of our northern birds are moving out of the state. Um, things like purple finch, white-throated sparrow, um, junco, as nesting species at least. Eventually, things like black-capped chickadee and veery may even move out of the state. Mm. Um, but definitely things like Nashville warbler and Canada warbler are much, much harder to find than they were even 10 years ago. Um, and, um, you know, there's only really two exceptions I can think of of birds moving south into Connecticut and increasing in population. One is the uh, yellow-bellied sapsucker, which used to only be found in the northeast and northwest corners, and now is, 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 is you can almost find it anywhere in the state nesting. Um, and the other is common raven. And common raven, I think, has just more become more adapted to suburban and urban habitats. They used to be a, a, a bird of the wilderness, but now they're dumpster divers, if you will. So they, they've become more accustomed to people. Why uh, sapsuckers are, are, are uh, expanding their range southwards, uh, we don't know. But it, it is definitely, um, there is definitely a correlation that, that the birds that were at the southern end of their nesting range seem to be moving out of the state, and the birds that are, you know, were on the northern edge of are either increasing or, or um, uh, you know, moving into the, the state. And this has actually happen, been happening for decades uh, with birds like red-bellied woodpecker, and northern mockingbird and northern cardinal and tufted titmouse that all used to be rare birds in Connecticut and now are all our familiar birds. I'm speaking with Patrick Cummins, who is the executive director of Connecticut Audubon, and we're talking about uh, well, we're talking about birds, and, and but I also want to talk a little bit about uh, some of the some of the other activities that are coming going on at some of the centers. But I do want to you you were talking about osprey, so I want to talk about your your project Osprey Nation, mm-hmm. where you are really uh, you 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 look for stewards, you have people who are working throughout the throughout the state to to monitor osprey nests that are in their their region. Why don't you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, it, it, it is, um, you know, our largest citizen science project. Um, you can find out about more about it on our website, ctaudubon.org. And um, we actually have a map of all the osprey nests uh, in the state. Um, and people go and enter, they go and check on these, these ne- uh, on, on these nests, and they enter data as to, you know, we think they're on eggs, you know, the, the, the pair is returned, we think they're brooding eggs, we saw, saw chicks' heads sticking out, so, and then, you know, following the chicks along to see if they're fledging. Osprey are doing great, but they are great sentinels of the environment where there may be problems, um, you know, it, Osprey are going to show us that. So um, even though this is uh, one of the most successful and, uh, you know, one of the great success stories of, of, of birds in Connecticut, it also 
because of that, it makes it uh, a really good canary in the coal mine species. And, um, you know, if, for example, we're starting to see low productivity, you know, we then we might um, look into food sources. We might look in, you know, are there problems with pesticides that are causing issues? You know, are the the, the, the bunker schools not the Menhaden schools not not coming into Long Island Sound? Are the you know the herring not returning in the spring? You know, so it, it again this sort of early warning system that that uh, uh, let us know if there's going to you know if there's a problem with osprey, we're going to know about it right away. One of the cool. Um, we have, oh, go ahead. Um, we have. Uh, let me see. It was, it, we had 342 stewards in 2019. Uh, 2020 was a little odd because we had um, uh, some issues with our pro- program and and, and COVID. Uh, we had 231 um, last year, but we had 732 nests with data. Uh, 733 in the last two years. And then active nests were 501 in 2019 and 510 in 2020. That's cool. Um, yeah, I was going to say one of the one of the coolest um, bird sites I've had was it was a few weeks ago when uh, one of the local osprey nests near me. I was I was driving along and one one of the osprey was coming back to the nest with with a fish and I guess, I guess the, the the mate was probably sitting on eggs and all of a sudden an eagle swooped down and tried to grab the fish and. Uh, I guess they. I guess they do that a lot. Eagles go after the al- the osprey for their fish. Yeah, eagles are going to shake things up as they become more and more common. Because, well, Ben Franklin didn't want the eagle to be our national bird because he thought they were just a big bully, which is pretty much true. Um, you know, they're big. They're they're one of the biggest birds that we have in Connecticut. Uh, the only, you know, I think weight-wise, meat swans might 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 outweigh them. Uh, brown pelicans have, ha, I mean, uh, American white pelicans have a bigger w- w- wingspan. But in general, the eagle, the bald eagle is just about the biggest bird in, in the state, and and they're, um, you know, they they throw their weight around. Uh, they'll pick on osprey and get them to steal their food. They'll even take osprey chicks. They'll uh, they're mostly scavengers, uh, and, and and they tend to congregate near water. Uh, so they do come into conflict with osprey more often than, than uh, uh, you know, quite often. Um, it'll be interesting to see if, if the eagles start causing problems maybe with our herons or with our uh, cormorants uh, as the population expands. And, and they're, they're starting to nest right on, uh, on the shores of Long Island Sound now. So we've been talking sort of uh, in general or about specific birds, but maybe you could talk a little bit um – so I really wanted to bring you on here to, to just talk about some of the, the really cool events that are taking place this summer and what, what people might be able to, to look forward to in uh, the, various, the various centers. Right. Yeah, we are opening, reopening our activities. Um, we have summer camps in Fairfield. Um, the, the, the spaces are going, uh, going real quickly. Um, it's for elementary, and I think um, up to 12 years of age. Um, uh, but in any case, if you're interested in our summer camps, either at Fairfield or in um, Old Lyme uh, or in Pomfret, uh, please check it out quickly because they're 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 filling up. Uh, you know, we have some limitations because uh, because all of our campers are under 12. None of them are going to be vaccinated, so we have some size limitations. So it's a little bit smaller summer camp than normal, but the kids really love it. Uh, my daughter's actually going to help out with the uh, Fairfield one this summer. I'm excited about that. Uh, she's going to help out as a uh, naturalist in training, if you will. Um, our centers themselves are um, 
closed to the public for the most part until after our um, um, summer camps, mainly because our, our campers are all under 12 and, and, and unvaccinated. Um, we do have all of our, 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 our trails have been open and have um, uh, continued to be open throughout COVID. Um, and we're actually making a lot of improvements on some of our trails, like at Birdcraft in, in Fairfield and also Larson Sanctuary in Fairfield. We're, we're working hard to improve to, to improve our trails. We do have a nature store at our uh, uh, location on Burr Street in Fairfield at the Fairfield Nature Center. Um, and uh, uh, it is open. Uh, you can buy bird seed books, gifts, and things like that. It's a great way to uh, find interesting stuff and get ex- talk to experts about, buy- about what you're going to buy. It's open 10 to, to 3, Monday through Saturday. Um, our Milford site um, is, is closed, but the trails are open. Um, and that's pretty much the case with all of our uh, all of our properties right now. But we still do have events, uh, both online and uh, live, um, even though the centers themselves may be closed. For example, in, in, in Fairfield tomorrow uh, from 10 a.m. to noon, we have an introductory naturalist program, Introduction to Trees. Um, we have um, Summer Sanctuary Strolls. Uh, June 9th, 23rd, and July 7th. Um, yeah, we have our summer camp, which starts June 14th, goes through August 20th. <laughs> we have a fern identification walk on June 15th. Uh, we have a summer uh, a concert series in Fairfield uh, at Farm Pond, which is on the 26th, July 10th, 31st, and August 7th at 5 p.m. Um, we also have, uh, you know, bird and pay programs that, that can go to, um, you know, various uh, events, uh, you know, if the costs are, are covered. Um, we have our eco-travel program that's, that's up and running, and they go all over, all over Connecticut, all over the world. Um, um, and uh, um, right now we, we are scheduling our swallow cruises for the fall. Um, there's a really amazing spectacle on the Connecticut River where hundreds of thousands of tree swallows come in to roost every evening at um, a sp- specific island. Uh, I believe it's called Calf Island in the lower Connecticut River. And when they just fill the sky and then someone sends a signal and they just all go down within a matter of like a minute or two, all, all 700,000 of them. And they go down in a tornado. And it's just you know, Roger Tory Peterson, who had gone all over the world and lived in Old Lyme, had uh, 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 said, this is the most amazing bird spectacle I've seen anywhere on Earth, uh, mm-hmm. and it's right in my own backyard. So, uh, you know, we have uh, uh, day trips coming up with, um, uh, with our eco-travel program. Uh, the, again, the Swallow Cruises. We have uh, Bluff Head and Northwoods Preserve coming up on uh, June 9th. That's tomorrow, Guilford. Um, we have a whole bunch, you know, Breeding Birds of, of Boston Hollow, Hunt for the Golden Wing Warbler on June 6th. Ooh, that should be fun. I haven't seen a Golden Wing Warbler in about 20 years myself. Um, oh, this is this is cool. Uh, a trip to uh, uh, our Cheney Sanctuary um, in in Montville, uh, which is a place uh, that, that's lesser known of our sanctuaries. It's really neat. Um, a uh, place to visit and, and, and see shrubland, early successional birds. Uh, we're going to Trailwood. There's, there's a whole bunch of uh, 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 things coming up in June. Bre- breeding birds of the Berkshires. And then we also, oh, and the Croft Preserve. That's awesome. <laughs> um, that's in Goshen. Uh, that's on July 2nd. That's that's one of our largest sanctuaries, but it's very wild. It's almost like you're in, you know, you see porcupines there. You see moose tracks or sometimes even moose 
Uh, you see bear scat, uh, you know, birds that, that are nesting there are things like juncos and, and Canada warblers. Um, you know, it seems like you're in Vermont and New Hampshire um, uh, you, when you're there. So uh, I highly recommend that uh, coming up on, uh, I think that was July 7th, 2nd. I mean, um, but they, they go all over the world. We, we go all over the world. We have uh, Amazon cruises coming up, Galapagos cruise, um, Nova Scotia uh, uh, um, to Cape Breton, Ethiopia in January 2022. Wow. Um, yeah, so all sorts of uh, uh, neat programs going on there. And then our regulatory Peterson Estuary Center, which also has a um, – it's in Old Lyme. They also have a summer camp that's filling up real quickly. But they have, uh, well, in-person events as well, uh, as we do at all our centers. Uh, uh, but uh, one of the great things they, they do, they do a lot of virtual courses. So um, um, uh, they have some really great educators and naturalists on their staff. And uh, we do webinars on Tuesdays. Uh, there's going to be uh, – uh, there's a uh, – um, uh, a for the birds three week mini course that we've offered. There's a webinar tomorrow uh, about extinct and endangered birds of Connecticut, which should be really good. Um, and, and and you know just you know there's trips coming up to Barn Island, Harkness to Rocky Neck to watch rock preserve and old lime um, uh, to see shorebirds at, uh, at, at our Roger Shore Peterson Estuary Center. And we actually have our newest sanctuary. Uh, we just bought uh, approximately six acre property in Old Lyme um, with some, you know, dedicated money that the generous donors have given us. Uh, it's a former, be- it's a former um, uh, um, bed and breakfast, but we're going to be converting it in, in, into a nature center with, on this six-acre sanctuary, which is, is directly adjacent to the Florence Griswold Museum, which, which does a lot of work on their habitat. So it'll sort of build on the work they're doing on the habitat and we're going to be doing butterfly gardens and bird uh, gardening, et cetera, there. Um, and they'll sort of uh, add up to one larger, uh, you know, more attractive landscape for pollinators and birds. Oh, that's a, that's a beautiful area right on the Lieutenant river there. That's, that's lovely. There. It is. Yeah. Amazing views. Um, and uh, we're looking forward, we're still in the process of, you know, doing the planning and we'll have to convert the building. The building's not open up yet to the public, uh, but uh, something to look forward to. And uh, uh, we're going to, it's really going to expand our, uh, both our conservation and our education reach in, in the Connecticut River uh, uh, watershed. So all this, um, you can find out more information at the ctaudubon.org site. And, and you're talking a lot about activities, but I would guess you have also a lot of uh, behind the scenes um, well, not behind the scenes, but as a, as a parallel track, a, a lot of scientific research and scientific, um, uh, along with the education, you're really, you're really studying the birds as well. We are, um, or, or facilitating it in, in, in some cases. Um, we work with, with universities, like, like we're partnering with UConn and, st- and the state on this Connecticut Bird Atlas project. We uh, partner with Sacred Heart University on Project Limulus, uh, uh, Sacred Heart University, um, on Project Limulus, which is tagging horseshoe crabs at our Milford Point uh, um, location and at other places. And, um, you know, we, we just recently completed a uh, vegetative um, survey of Milford Point of our Smith-Hubble Wildlife Refuge there um, and to, to know exactly where our um, state-listed plants are. Uh, there are several there, some rare, really rare ones like sickle leaf, golden aster, but also the uh, eastern prickly pear cactus. 
Um, we want to know where all those, these, these rare, rare plants. Actually, we discovered a plant there that we never expected, which is, is something called fragrant sumac, which was thought to be extinct from Connecticut. And uh, we, we think we found a wild occurring uh, uh, bush of it there. So as part of that process of inventory, uh, we, we are learning new stuff. And actually, last year, we uh, documented a beetle at Milford Point that hadn't been seen uh, there since 1940, I believe. Um, so uh, there are new things to, to document and discover out there. It was a type of tiger be- beetle, the, uh, the salt marsh tiger beetle. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> so, yes, and we have our Audubon Alliance for Coastal Waterbirds, where we work together with partners, including Audubon Connecticut and um, uh, the Connecticut Department of Energy and, Envir- and, and Environmental Protection and the Nature Conservancy. And to protect nesting birds like piping plovers and um, American oyster catchers, least in common terns, uh, wherever they, they nest in the state. And we also, as part of that, uh, do monitoring, which is really important. It's, it's important to know when the eggs are laid. So when we know there's four eggs and we can put up an exposure and, and uh, you know, if a, a nest is outside of a protected area, we can arrange things. And, and, and that, you know, our, the goal of that project is as much preserving access to the shore as it is about uh, uh, protecting the birds. Because we feel it, with proper stewardship and management that there's plenty of room on Connecticut's shore uh, for, for, to share the shore with birds uh, and people. And, um, you know, there are a few things that you can do that, that lessen your impact of a visit. You know, staying away from nesting areas, not bringing your dog to the beach where their dogs are not allowed on almost all Connecticut beaches during, during this season. Um, you know, being aware of roosting shorebirds at high tide, maybe avoiding high tide as a time to visit a, a bird nesting area, um, because high tide tends to be the most stressful time for these birds. So we, that, that's another big project that we're working on. Plus, we're, we're working on several habitat restoration projects at our sanctuaries. We have uh, more than 3,300 acres of sanctuaries across the state. And we have major uh, habitat improvement restoration projects ongoing at our Larson Sanctuary in Fairfield, our Birdcraft Sanctuary in Fairfield, our Smith Richardson Preserve in um, uh, Westport, um, our Croft Preserve up in Goshen, our Deer Pond Farm Preserve in um, in in, in um, uh, Pauling and uh, uh, Sherman, Connecticut, Pauling, New York, and Sherman, Connecticut. Um, uh, um, we actually have a very rare bird nesting a, 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 in one of a, a property adjacent to one of our properties up in uh, at our, at our pom- Pomfret Sanctuary, our Bathlin Sanctuary, a, a sedge wren, which is a uh, a bird that's only nested successfully like about a handful of times in the past. 50 years in Connecticut. So uh, incredibly rare nesting bird up there. Um, so yeah, we're, we're, we're hard at work trying to improve our trails and importantly, improve the conditions for birds and other wildlife on our sanctuaries. A lot, a lot going on with Connecticut Audubon. My, my favorite, um, my favorite, site I go to is, um, is the Milford Point site and and uh, I, I love there's a, a viewing platform there you can just sit and watch the salt marsh at a vast vast space and, and everything that's going on out there but, but I would guess the um, on, on the other side where you, you can actually walk out onto the point is, is that closed off what, during during the breeding season I know the oyster catchers are out there um, no there, there is access out there um, you know to, to the spit and, and to a degree out to the point, the point is owned by um, uh, Smith's Point is owned. Well, there's private property there, but the uh, the 
Strippy McKinney National Wildlife Refuge and owns Smith Point itself. There's no access to the upland area of that, but uh, you know there, there there's special access for for anglers um, and, and and people. You know, if you're below mean high water, um, you, you you can walk out there. The the spit. Um, we do have walks that go out on the spit. Uh, that are led by experts that will talk about some of the issues, the difficulty of visiting the spit without creating some sort of disturbance. It's been a really rough nesting season this year, um, in part because there was a, 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 a really strong nor'easter coinciding with a king tide, and uh, almost all of our um, nests washed out. Right now, there's about 10 piping plover chicks at uh, Milford Point that, that survived that storm um, or their eggs survived that storm. There's about four or five nests remaining to hatch. So sometime in the next couple of weeks, there could be 20 piping plover chicks running around. Oh, they are a federally threatened species. So when people visit there, we do ask that they be conscientious and uh, you know try to learn the piping plover's call note. If you hear that, peeplo, peeplo stop and look around make sure there aren't chicks near you really here it, it's really hard to go out to the spit at high tide without causing either disturbance to the nesting birds or to the um, migrating birds so i, I recommend uh, a falling tide um you know anywhere from an hour uh, to three hours after high tide is a great time to visit milford point and um um, you can see migrating shorebirds up close. I had a western sandpiper there the other day, fairly rare in Connecticut. You can see the piping clovers on their chicks. Um, but, you know, at, at, on a rising tide and at high tide, everybody's just nervous. All the birds are, are getting pushed together, and, and uh, you know, there, there ends up being uh, fights between the birds, territorial fights. Uh, sometimes the oyster catchers try to grab the, 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 um, the, the plover chicks. Um, and, you know, if you're up near the nesting area, you might be disturbing the turns of the plovers, but if you're down at the shore, you might be disturbing the, the, the migrating shorebirds, which are also very high conservation concern, or the, the, the foraging chicks. So it's best to maybe, you know, let the tide go out a couple, an hour or two. And, and, and at low tide, there's just like so much room there uh, uh, to explore. And, and, and it's, 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 we also have a tower that looks out over the, the, the marsh. We have a viewing platform that looks out over the marsh. We have, um, a, a handicapped accessible viewing platform uh, that looks out over Long Island Sound. Uh, um, and um, we, we have uh, programs uh, scheduled there as well, uh, even though the, the center building is closed. Um, we have, um, let me see, we have canoe trips coming up um, on June 12th, 13th, 26th, July 10th, 11th, 17th, and 24th. Um, we have... Uh, and that one's already happened. A lot of these are sold out. Uh, you know, like our Project Limulus horseshoe crab tagging events are, are sold out already. Uh, but I definitely um, suggest uh, checking out our website because uh, our programs are, tend to be popular and, and sometimes they're maximums even on our online programs. Um, you know, I, I definitely uh, recommend uh, uh, signing up for our mailing lists, uh, so you sign up for our uh, uh, Natural Awakenings blog. Um, you know, we try not to, uh, we, we try, try to keep the, the, the volume of emails manageable. We don't send something every day, you know, maybe a couple of times a week. Um, but, yeah, definitely want to, if you're interested in any of these programs, uh, you know, check our website, ctaudubon.org, often uh, because, again, they sell out pretty quickly. 
Yeah, I went on one of, one of the canoe trips in Milford Point last summer, last fall, actually. It was That was a lot of fun. Well, thank you so much, uh, Patrick Cummins. It's very nice to meet you by telephone, uh, executive director of Connecticut Audubon, uh, a person with a lot of energy and enthusiasm, I can tell. And it, <laughs> I, I do do have a lot of enthusiasm for nature, for sure. You, you guys do. You guys do great work. I just I appreciate your taking some time this afternoon and, and coming on and telling us what you're what you're up to. So so thank you very much. Thank you. And have a great day. Thank you. You too.